Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. I'm talking with Johnny Sheehan, chef owner of Salt Raw Bar and Lena's Kitchen in Plymouth, Mass. Now, growing up, Johnny played drums in heavy metal bands and today is in love with golf and flavored seltzers. Johnny, I love the polarization, heavy metal. There's few things more fucking metal than LaCroix, my tangerine LaCroix. I throw into the mix there and and hitting the links what for you is that 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 balance between kind of those seemingly at odds worlds well first of all I mean seltzers are delicious amen Um, you know heavy metal speaks to the soul it just flows through the veins Um, you know the first kind of inspiration of art music uh, angsty youth trying to um, express myself and golf is um, golf is like church for me man you know being outside being stuck in a kitchen all day having that moment to breathe and enjoy the beauty of being outside and doing something physical you know it all works together somehow in some weird way I'm, I'm with it man I was more of a punk ska kid in Southern California but it was the same thing we had to have something right to to galvanize us and uh and i think it's great i love also just currently the 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 golf especially i talk a lot about having positive outlets in our industry because a lot of times our outlet our opportunity to let loose is not always so healthy so i I always can appreciate that and uh let people know that it's, it's okay to have you know some hobbies that have nothing to do with food and or beverage so that's great right Right now, I like to completely get away from it and disconnect. And that seems to be, um, you know, that activity that does it for me. Stop thinking about cooking for a minute and just breathe. It's good. It's good. So at 14, you started in, the, in your career at La Garlic Restaurante in Raynham, Mass. And then parlayed that right into, into going to school at Le Cordon Bleu, kind of after high school in Cambridge, Mass., and really, we're on a path. Now, you've had quite a few accolades featured on Twist of Taste, you know, getting the, the nod as Hidden Jewel on Phantom Gourmet, Hop Chef Boston champion. Yet You let me in on a little, little tidbit that your proudest moment in your career was seeing your sous chef and your chef cuisine winning hometown throwdown at Mayflower Brewery in Plymouth. What is that for you as yeah. somebody who's gotten the accolades, competition, awards, yet for you, you had that proud papa moment where it was some guys that you had, you know, nurtured, a team that you had built and, and seeing them go out and win something for themselves. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, it's um, things I've accomplished so far in my life. I mean, uh, you're always trying to get something to happen that all of a sudden you can reflect and say, oh, okay, I've, I've done it. And everything that I've done or, you know, whatever accolade or no matter how many people tell me what they think I do is great. It just doesn't, um, I mean, I appreciate it, but 
it almost makes me uncomfortable. Why? I don't know. That's another two hour conversation. But when I got to see my guys competing and, um, you know, it was just this feeling filled me and it was the only other way I've ever, you know, explained it is like seeing your kids, you know, accomplish something. And, uh, my two guys just like so dialed in focus and, um, they were fierce, you know, and they just kicked absolute ass. And it was, you know, I'm sitting there like tearing up watching these kids win and just, and just compete and be passionate. And I guess knowing that I had a hand in, in directing that and directing the focus, uh, just, made me feel made me feel all the feels you know i haven't felt that way in a long time it was pretty cool yeah yeah truly fulfilled and that's part of you know what best served and and this podcast and my goal is is that there's so much value to bring in the industry as a whole of us starting to celebrate outside of our own accolades our own mission and i think that's that's powerful stuff so appreciate you calling that out from the get because i think that has meaning people all across the industry need to know that they matter. And the fact that you are most proud of them and their moments speaks volumes. So I love to hear that. Now we're going to play one of our best served icebreaker games. I'm calling this out to sea. You are in new England in Boston. It's basically yep. the the seawater runs through the veins there. It is so ingrained in the culture, hundreds and hundreds of years and generations and generations have gone to see, right? The iconic man on the wheel statue, you know, there in Gloucester and all right. of that is so deep seated culture there. And, uh, and you don't fuck with it, man. <laughs> so <laughs> no, you, do not. I want, you, do, you do not, you do not question the passion and dedication uh, for sure. No doubt. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions about, the industry out there about seafood, because I know the raw bar, I know what you do with fish, having tasted multiple uh, preparations of fish. I know how passionate you are. I know how connected you are with fishermen and the sea. So right. the first thing, talking about iconic, Union Oyster House, right, 1826. Now, what's interesting about this place, it was built, I found out, in somewhat 1704 and mm -hmm. before it became the actually atwood and bacon oyster house multiple choice what was the shop that building in that space before it became the oyster house was it a a haberdashery which i'm not really actually sure what that is but i was like what are <laughs> old old timey businesses uh yeah. b it was the newspaper the massachusetts spy or C, a kite repair shop? Let's see. Now I'm thinking about the area that it's in. Um, I don't think it was a newspaper and, and I don't think it's a kite shop, but I could be completely wrong. So whatever your first choice was there, sir, that we both don't know what it is, let's go with the, that. The haberdashery, it was, uh -huh. actually, it was actually a newspaper. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, fascinating stuff and the massachusetts spy i mean talk about in 17 early 1700s a, a newspaper called massachusetts spy i mean you know there was some going ons there there's, leading up there's to the, something something happened in there <laughs> you know there was some yeah you know there was some uh uh sam adams type uh revolutionary yeah, some revolutionary shit happening there for sure yeah <laughs> you, you can no, man, the, 
the, the amount of history, Boston. it's so cool, you know? It's yeah, one of our, you know, our proud points we hang on to, you know? I mean, we may not always be the best food scene or not San Francisco, LA, whatever, but we got so much history, man. It all started. It all started here. Yeah. And so talk, speaking of oysters, you're mm -hmm. at Union Oyster House, right? Got to have some of the oysters. I'm interested in what oyster species of the five commonly harvested species of oyster is found in New England. Is it A, Olympia, B, Kumamoto, or C, Virginiac? Uh, it's got to be the Virginiac, and I'm probably going to be wrong. You're asking me all this stuff that I don't think about. <laughs> it is the Virginiac oyster. Yeah. The Olympia okay. and the Kumamoto are the West Coast. Now, this is where... That's West this, Coast, yeah. Yeah, this is where the East Coast, West Coast... I know they talk about Biggie and Tupac, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really, is it Kumamoto or is it Virginiac oyster? Now, I'm sure I don't have to ask you, and, and you'd get kicked out if you said anything but the East Coast oyster. Now, personally, being from California, there's something about the Kumamotos and that cucumber brine. And uh, we, go, we go over the Whole Foods right by our house. My five-year-old son, right, I know you can appreciate this, will go and sit there and, and, and grill the fishmongers at the Whole Foods. Are these East Coast? Are these West Coast? Are these Kumamoto? <laughs> and then they're like, who is this tiny person? And then they go, can I shuck these for you? He goes, no, nah, I'll take care of this myself. Mm. No, I got it, bro. I got it. <laughs> Speak, speaking of proud moments, now the two types of oysters, and I'm interested in your favorite that, that he really likes, that we like to shuck uh, from out east, are the Rappahannocks a little bit down the coast from you, and then the, mm -hmm. the, well, and the well fleets. Now the well fleets like to chip when you shuck them. We're getting way in the weeds here, but tell me, what's the, what's the oyster varieties, where are they coming from that, that you guys are really crushing on right now? Um, I'm really enjoying, uh, I mean, Wellfleet's. Wellfleet's are kind of the standard for me that, you know, you have this um, a little more out in the ocean. So you have this beautiful ocean brine to them and they're just super consistent. I mean, that being said, I mean, there are so many little places popping up now making, um, raising amazing oysters. It's truly turned into a whole nother you know, industry for us all around here. I mean, obviously there's Island Creek right next town over in Duxbury and all the different places they're harvesting around. Um, you know, right near me, there's Rocky Nook and uh, Kingston, Mass, which are doing some great stuff. And then, you know, some other things and like Barnstable, Falmouth, the Cape, they're really starting to step their game up as well and uh, offer a lot of other selections. But for me, you know, my, my, my go-to uh, has always been Wellfleet. All right, I'll tell I'll tell my son that we are onto something. The bona fide Boston chef told us Wellfleet, cosine. I like it. So <laughs> well, you know, every everyone's got their opinion, but that one that one works for me. You know, it's hey, consistent. We want your, open, we want you your opinion today. That's right. And then <laughs> that's just, what I just, like. Just for all the other uh, food nerds out there, the other two uh, species are the Pacific oyster and the European flat, also commonly called the balone. And then you got a couple others that you'll see down in the southern hemisphere but those are the five species of oysters so the next time you go to your fishmonger drop some knowledge on them and and grill them a little bit about what species of oysters you're getting into we, next just thinking about i was so fascinated with what does the fishing industry look like in a place like new england in a place like mass and so looked up some numbers the fishing industry revenues annually third in the country which i thought was was 
really great with the size that mass actually is. So the total number of annual revenue for the fish industry, for the seafood industry, is A, 1 billion, B, 2 billion, or C, over $4 billion annually. Oh, that's got to be over $4 billion. I mean, that's huge. It's huge. $4.4 billion. Mass is, not, I mean, number one, California, and two, Florida. Those make sense to me. Those are huge sure. states. And then mass. Like, you guys are in it to win it, man. I love hearing that. And 83,000 jobs in that industry. I mean, that's, that's huge. Right. Huge. It's, it's, in, it's ingrained in the fabric here, man. It's, uh, you know. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, all these, uh, these coastal towns, you know, they were all humble fishing villages working hard. And, you know, uh, between Gloucester and Fairhaven and New Bedford, there's still these, these big fishing uh, areas going out and, you know, hitting hard. So it's amazing stuff. It's impressive for sure. Well, thanks for playing that game. Now I want to get into your story. I want to hear about the people that have impacted you. So for you, I know that really starts at the beginning. And who was that that really was the first person that made a major impact with you? And, and what is it that they impacted you and, and you keep with you today? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it starts at home. It starts with mom, um, you know, my heart. Um, taking care of us, cooking for us, you know, um, she always cooked, uh, you know, it was nothing fancy, nothing crazy. And I, I don't have those stories of like, you know, generations of recipes or whatever, but mom just uh, got good food and cared and cooked. And, you know, her way of keeping, especially my brother and I from killing each other every day was, you know, she'd always pull one of us in the kitchen and 99% of the time it was me because I gravitated towards it. So, you know, it's, it kind of set that you know, ingrained in my fabric, uh, love of food, love in there, taking care of people, um, which definitely, you know, as I sit and reflect has been that common thread of why I keep doing what I doing is, uh, you know, showing love through food, um, making people happy. And that's, you know, that's what mom started for me. Yeah. I'm very interested in that. There's, that's a, that's the right answer. Starting with mom. Good job. Uh, I know she'll be very happy listening to this. So, sure. <laughs> so that that's an interesting kind of tug and pull when you get to the level that you're at hyper creative, super expressive, you know, very avant-garde. There's the artistic side of it. How do you balance that and, and keep grounded with what mom instilled in you with this food needs to make people feel good? How do you balance that? I mean, that's, I think that's come with maturity of cooking. Um, you know, we are all young and uh, want to put a bazillion things on a plate and show every technique, you know, uh, and getting away from that a little bit and getting more confident in what I do, um, you know, keeping things clean and just um, really letting ingredients shine, I think ended up going down that path more of um, getting back to that feeling of, of mom and you know, evoking emotion. So, you know, some of the stuff I've been making recently, it has all that beauty, it has thought to it. Um, but, you know, someone has eaten it and looked at me and it's been like, fuck, man, like that's evoking an emotion. And they're like, I feel like I'm back here or I feel like I'm there. 
And that's what's really uh, started to hit home for me of what my ability is and being able to do that, but still express myself artistically at the same time. And, and I can't really dial in of how it happens other than I just feel it. You just feel that while you're cooking it. You know, I'm putting love into um, ordering an ingredient, receiving an ingredient, um, you know, building the steps to it, building flavor. And I think it's just, I mean, tell me how, how you feel about it too. When you put that much love into something and it now at this point teaching other people now and I'm nurturing a business, it's like that feeling of home comes through. It's so important. I think it's easy to get lost in your own great ideas, huge air quotes here and your own ability right. and things like that. And I think we all have gone down that path where we're just reading our own news clippings and, and so impressed with how talented we are and all that. And then there's those moments where you go, wait, but why am I cooking? It's because of mom. It's because of these, these humans that have impacted us and the people that we want to nurture and take care of. And then you're running a business. That's why it's so fucking hard, man. There's a right. lot to balance out and there's a lot to unpack when you're doing that. I think if you're grounded in anything, that's where it needs to start. Because if you have that love when shit hits the fan and it always does in our industry, yeah. you, you have that to fall back on. And if you can just evoke that emotion, you've succeeded. And then you layer on the other things and be a smart businessman, run your numbers and build a strong team and be creative and have the farmers. But it starts with that. So I think that's, that's really valuable. It keeps you tethered. And we need, we need more of that in this industry because it can run amok on you for sure. Agreed, and so now you're going back to mom's house. And yep. it's the holidays or it's summer cookouts. Who's yep. cooking? You, you or mom? <laughs> well, you know, I went through that unfortunate phase of um, mom being intimidated to cook around me. You know, of that course. Arrogant, arrogant fucking culinary school kid telling her everything she's been doing for my entire life was wrong. You know, asshole. Um, we got past that. So now, I mean, I do a lot of cooking because again, I like to share my gifts with, you know, my family that don't necessarily always have the opportunity to come into the restaurant, you know? Um, but I'm really trying to get everyone else to cook with me and, and that's what's been happening. So mom and I will cook together. Yeah. And I just tell her, I'm like, you know, how'd you used to do this? Cause that's all I want to eat right now. That's all I want to taste. And you know, she has those fun moments that it makes her feel good that that's what makes me happy. But, you know, we, we try to turn it into a family affair. You know, I got a bunch of young kids and trying to get them involved with it and start that process all over again of, um, you know, family and, and taking care of each other with food, good food. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. It's the student becomes the teacher, right? It's full circle. And, and I'm, sure, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure, mom, you're listening right now. You're having those proud moments, just like when his sous chefs are going out there. Now you see the layers that you created. So good job, mom. We're, we're proud of you. Yeah, so are. move us in kind of a, a later phase in your life. Now you're in it. You're at culinary school. You're going beyond. You say, this is the path that I'm on. Talk to me about somebody else who was well, in those you pivot, know what? pivotal I, I, moments. I'd have, to, I'd have to take one step back because um, mm -hmm. culinary school came a little bit later. Um, and, you know, I was, I was stuck in kind of some jobs that I was uh, chasing the buck, uh, not even cooking. I mean, cooking was always kind of a second job right out of high school. and um, you know, being miserable, doing stuff that I wasn't happy with. And then it all comes back to a girl because that seems to happen sometimes. Um, Doesn't it always? Wife. I met my wife um, and I was doing what, you know, any uh, respectable guy would do trying to impress her. I started cooking for her. And my wife's a, um, 
you know, she's, she's very interesting. I mean, one, she's vegan. So at the point in time when I met her, I even know what that was, you know? So it's like, okay, you don't eat what? All right. Um, let me create something for you anyways. Took on the challenge. And just, we started cooking, having a great time. And I was at a pivotal point in my life. I mean, that I was like, what the hell am I going to do with myself? I'm miserable. I'm not happy. You know, lots of other backstory there, but you know, we were watching a lot of food TV together and cooking. And she's like, why don't you go to school? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I didn't know what path to go. And, you know, Heather just was that first person in a long time to be like, no, you're really good that you're not just good at cooking. You have a gift and it would be a shame for the world not to, to see that. And she just gave me that enough push of confidence to, you know, do a total change in direction and, and go towards a career that I thought could turn into something. And, you know, I'll always, I always tell her, you know, you started this, you're the one that, that gave me the confidence to do what I do now is, you know, I've grown into myself and understanding what I am and what I do. And now, you know, teaching that along to other people, but she was definitely the one that um, got me going down this path. So I have to, I have to give her the love and props. Yeah, you are winning for sure, mom and wife. So good, <laughs> good on you. Good on you. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, a uh -huh. couple of things to unpack there that I thought were interesting. I mean, talk to me about how powerful it is to have somebody who means something to you, be it wife or or sibling or mentor or friend, to say you have a gift, and it would be a shame for the world not to experience that. I mean, talk to me about that. It's powerful. Well, it, it is, it is powerful. It's, you know, um, God, that's what's so amazing about love, right? Sometimes people can see things in you that you can't see in yourself. And, you know, whether it's a, well, like you said, your mother, you, you're a teacher, uh, you know, your wife, your friends, I mean, your own children. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think it's hard to look at yourself sometimes and be able to see what the world sees of you. And, um, being able to read through the bullshit because then it's the other side of it. People will tell you how amazing and great you are and you lose yourself in that. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a humbling thing, you know? And do you find yourself having, again, two powerful women kind of that have propped you up early on? Do you find yourself now trying to mirror that uh, for others? And you, you talked, just touched on that you were trying to teach that and instill that in others. How does that, manifest now as a chef as a leader well i mean i um i grew up in kitchens probably like yourself that weren't necessarily the most um positive environments and for me i mean i just take a different approach and i always say i treat my cooks like my kids i'm, I'm firm but i'm loving and understanding and um you know that's that's i just want to create a culture of um positivity I mean, a serious environment, but if I'm not singing and dancing, we're not, we're not cooking good food. You know what I mean? And it's just, uh, I like to, I like to find uh, people that I can see something in that they don't quite know they have yet. I mean, again, some of my proudest moments, I mean, my, my sous chef, the one that competition, he started with me as a dishwasher and, you know, out of my necessity, I was like, Hey, what's your name? What do you do? All right. You cook now. Cause I didn't have any line cooks. And now this kid is coming to his own and turning into, you know, his own in his own right, an accomplished chef. And uh, I mean, and it's, it means I've learned that that's what makes me happy. You know, I just got a new intern of a, 
you know, girl from high school that she's just like, I want to learn how to cook. I want to do it. And, and I'm like, great. All I need to say is, yes, chef, put your head down and work and we'll, and everything else will fall into place. And just really trying to create that environment. I mean, especially being in Plymouth. I mean, I'm not in Boston. So, you know, it's uh, and even, you know, everywhere struggles now getting people to work, but it's, it's still, it's even more difficult. Um, but, you know, I've been lucky finding some really good people to want to learn and, um, you know, want to see what I have to say. Yeah, what does it mean to you? Because uh, I've been guilty of this, and I know this happens in the industry systemically, where there's almost this, you're lucky to be working for me because of X, Y, Z, accolade, the right. restaurants, the prestige, all that, you know, we, we came up in that. When you said not the most positive, I was thinking, yeah, getting plates thrown in your head was a badge of honor. What's interesting <laughs> about it is it did somehow galvanize us. It did create purpose. We are the island of misfit toys, a band of fucking rebels, right? Yep. Super, super fucking punk and metal. Like that, that was us. So right. you couldn't take that away from us. Now that's been exposed a little bit as toxic. And now, you know, there's this, the kids these days, and I was like, no, they probably just aren't as dumb as we are to take that. And so you're trying to create a new kind of purpose, a new kind of culture and environment challenges. I'm sure. Cause you're having right. to, re-evaluate kind of what it meant for you to be a, a chef and give us a couple practical ways that you're doing that and your sous chef who started as a dishwasher where I started like yep. that got them to the point where they're with you they're in it they have purpose give us give us that roadmap uh, well it's you know I mean I guess it starts with necessity right we need people to work for us and and what are you going to do I mean you're going to treat people like shit and yell at scream and tell them they're terrible. I mean, why did we put up with that? I, I don't know, but we did. And, and kids nowadays, they don't, they don't have to. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there. So for me, I try to more show, um, you know, and tell the story of what I went through and how I'm not going to put you through that. And, you know, you got to work hard for yourself and, and what do you want to be? And again, it just comes into some of the different sayings that I have, you know, and we are always kind constantly talking about like you want to do something good let's work hard let's go and um you know i think um especially because when we're creating something they can see what's being created they can see uh tangible things to learn and then and then you know they're like well i mean i've had cooks leave me like the, the natural thing they go want to work somewhere else and then they call me back like chef you know i want to work with you again and i'm like oh yeah why is that and they're like, cause you're not, you're just not a piece of shit asshole. Like you have, um, you have the knowledge to pass and you pass it in a different way. And it's, it's true. I mean, I'm firm with my guys. They know what they, what they have to do, but it's like disappointed dad. They don't want to make dad upset. They want to, they want to make me happy. They want to work hard for me because in return, I treat them with respect when I can give them a raise or more money. I mean, I'm the first person to share the wealth because it's, if you want to be successful, you got to build a structure that can keep going as, as, as we're reaching for the stars. If you don't have, you know, a firm ground underneath, I mean, you're not going to go anywhere. Or if yeah, you are, so, it's going to so true. So true. Well, I love that the team that you're building. Now, I want to go forward a little bit from that pivotal moment with Heather, back a little bit from the team that you currently have. The transition sure. from chef, executive chef, to chef owner, to being part of ownership. Talk to me about that a little bit. Maybe somebody who was a part of that, the first ownership you were in or somebody who took you under the wing, mentored you, kicked your ass a little bit, said, 
here artist, here's numbers. Like talk to me about that a right. little bit, the transition into into ownership and it's a whole different ball game. It it is a different ball game. I mean the um, you know, the the me, 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 my way attitude that some of us chefs can have. I mean, you know, again, now I'm responsible for not only a kitchen, but I'm responsible for everybody that works there. And they all have their struggles like we do. You know, they all got families to provide for. And, and that, that, that sunk in with me. Now, my majority owner that, that gave me this opportunity to open a business with him, um, you know, he comes uh, from humbling backgrounds. I mean, you know, he was telling me this uh, gentleman's name is Fred. And, you know, he came from Italy and he came from, you know, post-World War II, poor Italy. And he tells his story. And, you know, uh, oh, well, my job was walking, you know, through the woods two miles to go get water for the house. And, you know, we're always joking. It's like someone has a pet. He's like, no, that wasn't a pet. That was, that was, that was the next meal. And um, this gentleman, you know, came over here. So like a, a beautiful American success story, you know, came with nothing and through hard work and determination, you know, has turned into what he's turned into. I mean, he was running a billion dollar food distribution business. And, um, you know, he just has that, that work ethic, but at the same time, he just, he cares about people. He understands people. So for me, it's been, it's been really inspiring. Now he's, he's a, he works, he's, he's in his sixties. He doesn't have to, and he works. He's the guy that shows up, um, at both my restaurants and will be scrubbing the toilets because they just have to be done just right, you know? And that's just who he is. So he sets a, um, a standard. And, uh, and, you know, it's an inspiration, but he's not an asshole. Like you can see it. He's the best thing I can say is when I decided to join uh, the company and partner up with him and open these restaurants, I mean, he, he invited me to his house. I decided to cook at his house, but he was all ready to do that. I'm like, no, let me cook for you. And we sat down, my wife, myself, him, his wife, and his son, and just said, you know, well, welcome to my family. And um, again, family, man, family, that, that, that idea. But for someone that could probably hire any chef that they want, you know, to give me the opportunity to build something with him and just say, welcome to my family, because now you're in it. And that's, and that's been a true statement. There's no bullshit there. Yeah, you lead from the front. That kind of example really, really sets the tone. It's hard to find. I mean, the fact that no employee is a line item, is a number, is needs to be talked about more. I think that's, I think that's great to hear. And, yeah. and back, to, back to family, man, you keep finding a, a family. family. It's, it's important, you know, we build our families in our kitchen and we, you know, it's just something to be said. And the family doesn't always mean, you know, mother, father, grandmother, it can be chef, dishwasher, or, you know, uh, you name it. It's, and I, again, that's what's cool about restaurants. I mean, yeah, I have, these extended families now of people I've worked with and, and people that have been on the journey that, um, you know, that you still think about whether you talk about them or not. Yeah. Having that fundamental connection of, of family, that's like a nucleus, right? That it gets you through the hard times. Like it really does. Yeah. If you have that to always fall back on, then the rest of the shit, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's important, it but it doesn't out. matter. Yeah. Right. It, it really, really does. All right. Loved hearing about some of these people. Mom, Heather, wife pushing you into this industry. Now having somebody like Fred believing you at this level. Uh, we also want to talk about, you know, the best served 
unsung hospitality, unsung culinary heroes. And I know there was somebody that was important to you that you wanted to kind of nominate and say more people need to know about the impact that this person has had on you and potentially on others. Talk to me about who that is for you. Uh, so, you know, my, and going into culinary school, I came across this, this, uh, this chef, um, Ying Wei Lao. He was my, uh, you know, baking pastry instructor. And he was just a hardcore motherfucker, man. I mean, like yell, scream, like everything had to be perfect. And, you know, I mean, uh, a lot of, a lot of my other brethren there in culinary school were like, Oh, I can't stand this class. And I saw through all that shit, man. and just saw what he was trying to instill. And, uh, he was getting you ready to be able to work in the environment that we grew up in, you know? And, um, he was just beyond talented. He was beyond focused. And he definitely got me set up to be able to succeed in the kind of kitchens I knew I wanted to go into. I wanted to go into elite kitchens and, and, and be able to do that. And, and he, he set the groundwork for that. And, and that was only one part of it. I mean, um, he kind of set me down my path of uh, the love of Asian cuisine. I mean, he's uh, from Chinese descent. And, um, you know, so I pulled him aside one day and was like, chef, you know, I'm really interested in learning more about Asian cuisine. You know, what do you have to, to tell me? He's like, okay, you, uh, you meet me at this address tomorrow when school's closed. And he brought me to my first like, you know, crazy Asian market and spent the time with me to walk up every single aisle in that place and say, this is this, this is that, this is this ingredient. I still have my little notebook that I was jotting all this shit down, trying to, you know, understand what he was telling me and we bought a bunch of ingredients and we went and cooked together and he just showed me some very simple but you know technique that I still use of um, creating some of these flavors and just understanding you know the uh, the beauty of Asian cuisine the, the saltiness sweets you know umami all these different things and texture and flavor that as I sit and think about it kind of is like my core of how I think about a lot of things so Yingwei La, man, he, um, I know I'm not the only person that, that he connected with in this way. And, uh, you know, I've, I've run into him a few times, funny enough, not even contacting him at that Asian market. And, you know, we, uh, we've sat down and just had dinner and, you know, dim sum, whatever, man. And he's just uh, such a cool guy. And he doesn't, he doesn't understand how much he's impacted people. And, um, you know, the world needs to know his story and what he's accomplished and, and, you know, I'm sure there's, there's dozens more people like me that still think about that guy in that class. So, yeah. What do you, I mean, man, what do you say to somebody that was so transformative to you? Like, how do you, how do you put into words a thank you or, or what is it now you're saying? I have to, I have to pay it forward. Like that, that transformation yeah, it's, in it's, your life. It's important, man. And again, I think, um, you know, I touched on a little bit when I saw my guys accomplishing something and you see that look on their face of, of their joy and hearing their name called and what it did for me, you know, it just meant so much. And, you know, so when I, the last time I saw him, I was talking about a different venture I was doing and, and, you know, he's just listening to me and I had to stop the conversation and be like, you know, I want to tell you that, you know, you are one of the main reasons I'm accomplishing what I'm accomplishing saying, thank you. And it was one of those, you know, special moments. I mean, two grown men sitting, eating, um, you know, eating pho together, crying over a bowl of noodles because that's, that's how it was. And it was, 
I think he could definitely see how sincere I was and how much I cared about him and, and, you know, what someone like, I mean, you're, you know, a teacher, you know, he was a, a teacher and what, how impactful that, that profession is, whether it's culinary school or, or whatever, the, your ability to mold lives and, and change people's lives and put them on a path that again, like you have those people that see what you're capable of and uh, being able to push you. And he, he pushed, he pushed me. Yeah. I'm glad you got to have that opportunity because most of us don't recognize in the moment and never are able to reconnect with those type of people because that's, you know, such a huge part of our lives is those people that impact us. And, and I'm glad that you got the opportunity to reconnect with, with him and, and break bread. That's so powerful to you. And yeah. Tears, tear, umami tears in your bowl of pho sounds <laughs> umami very, tears noodles. And <laughs> it sounds very cathartic, very healing, yeah. and I I know that you're uh, paying that forward. And uh, not only is he part of the, proud of the accomplishments, but also what you're continuing to to try and still. So keep that up. We need more of that in the industry. I want to leave us with a quote that you gave me to kind of take us out into the world. You say, anything worthwhile takes hard work and sacrifice live in love and respect. Tell me what that means. Well, anything worthwhile, you know, is hard work and sacrifice. And I've been thinking back on that. I mean, you know, uh, having people in my life that, you know, friends that you lose touch with, it's like, well, no, we don't call you because you're always working. You know, you're always doing something, you know, um, hard work, man. I mean, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a chef, whether you're a doctor, I mean, if you want to do something in your mind now that's worthwhile, it takes hard work and sacrifice. It takes that time, those hours, those nights that you don't want to do it, but you push through it. You, you, you see that goal and you won't let anything stop you. And, you know, that's one of my uh, things that I repeat, you know, when, when we're getting tired at work and there's that, you know, that next banquet that got thrown in front of you or the next wine dinner we're doing, we don't want to do it. It's like, no guys, hard work, sacrifice. It's going to be worthwhile. And it always is. And, um, you know, live in love and respect. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's something with me and my children. And, and I get, again, an extension of how I treat people, you know, uh, teaching moments for, for my, one of my daughters who's now 16 and living life, but it was always, you know, something went wrong or whatever decision was made and said, okay, were you living or did you treat that person with love and respect? No, dad, I didn't. Well, if you had, the outcome would have been different. Why do you think, you know, and again, if you treat people with love, dignity, respect, how you want to be treated, I mean, it's that message is as old as time, but just a new, a new idea to it. It's just treat people the right way. And, you know, and if people aren't going to give that back to you, move on, move forward. But if you touch everyone in that way with treating them with respect and giving them the love they deserve, because every human being deserves it, good things are going to happen. Positive energy, it comes back to you. And that's, that's been my experience. Johnny Sheehan, appreciate you sharing your story. And I know the people that we got to talk about today uh, will be grateful that they know that they have an impact on you. And I think the industry as a whole gets value out of just hearing these human stories and hearing about the people that, uh, that prop us up, that get us to where we are. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, I think it's a really cool thing you're doing. Uh, keep it up. You got my support. Cheers.
So we listened to our conversation with Johnny Sheehan, and he got to talk about his mother, got to talk about his now wife and the inspiration that they were for him. And he also was really big to point out somebody that was a mentor to him. And I think mentorship within the industry is something so valuable. And so I'm very excited to be talking to Inwe Lau. How did I do on the pronunciation? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. All right. <laughs> People mispronounce my name all the time. So I'm very sensitive. So I'm glad I did it justice. So uh, I want to hear a little bit about you and, and have our listeners hear just a little bit about you and then talk about the relationship that you had and have with Johnny Sheehan and, and, and really what that means to him and means to you. So tell us where are you from originally? My personal origin is from the Taiwan. And the uh, country of the United States was the probably 1982. Okay. And, the, and what, what was your first job in the, in the culinary, the hospitality industry? The first job in the current, uh, that was uh, probably the one I went to the school, Newbury College for two years. Then, okay, I, okay. then I graduated school and I was uh, trying to pursue the baking. Then I worked for the one of the famous, uh, well-known the French pastry chef in the north northern part of Boston, the small bakery started for me. the The job wasn't easy, and the start of the job was uh, from noon time until midnight. That's a long day. It's Baking, a long that's day. That's a that's a long day slapping dough around. Uh... Not only, slapping wow. the, not only slapping the dough, also at the same time, has to pound in the butter, pound by pound, pounding down, because they need to do the lamination dough. We just, uh, before we started recording that, uh, that the culinary industry, it, it really is a young man's game. That's why, that's hard work. That'll, that'll wear on your body as you, as you get older. So I, I respect that hustle for sure. Yes, the, the, the lucky lot time was young, so I didn't notice. I just wanted to pursue the, my dream, pursue the, my goals, uh, di dedicate with the professional. So that time I wasn't knowing too much. You just say, yeah, I can do it. I can make it. But uh, day by day, pass through the time, wasn't easy. And it's long hours. So it's very stressful. That's the truth. You got to be equal parts passionate and crazy to be in this industry. So, yes. so then tell me how you came to be at uh, Cordon Bleu in Cambridge where you actually crossed paths with Johnny. How did that start for you? That's by the little bit of curriculum that's one of my former instructor from the Newbury College. One day called me up the, saying, hey, Yingwei, would you like to cover my class? because uh, I had a little personal emergency. I had to leave the job for a little short period of time. If you don't mind, can come to school cover. But... It, and you just fell that, into it that way, huh? You just, just went and covered a class? Yes. Uh, just from there, because uh, this instructor called me up at the time, was uh, making me nervous because I never have a teaching experience. And this instructor encouraged me saying, if you've been in a job of training people, it's almost the same using the class of training the student. 
So that instructor that encouraged me to take an opportunity is a moment I decided to say, okay, let me try it. Start from there, time fly by, three years. I was teaching the Newbury College for three years. I taught three years in Newbury College. After the last three years, then I finished, I had the opportunity, found out there's a job opening that need a instructor for the baking and pastry in the column below, they opened the, the new campus in the Cambridge. So I decided to take the opportunity, move on to the new facility, take a chance. And the lucky and fortunate, I had the opportunity and the teaching over there. And is, and is teaching something that, that you loved? I mean, it's something that you fell into, but it seems like you took it and ran with it. What does teaching well, mean to you? Well, teaching moment of time, I was trying, beginning was the start of time, was really nervous at the same time, also that was a little bit different compared to the original professional, work in the hotel, work in the restaurant, work in the kitchen. A little bit different because uh, I had to be a little bit more dedication and I had to be much more patient for the new youngest, uh, the future professional students sure you're getting these uh young punk kids in you gotta whoop them into shape and uh sometimes you gotta kick their ass sometimes <laughs> you gotta pat them on the back so i can understand that i remember uh, the way that i was in culinary school no easy task but the, <laughs> the instructors that spent time and effort on me it, it <laughs> sticks with me to this day so i want to talk about that a little bit uh i mean tell us a little bit maybe about what you recall about Johnny and, and uh, spare no details. Give us some dirt on Johnny Sheehan in culinary school. Of course. Johnny Sheehan, when I first time met him come to my class at the time, I pretty much in the, in the business uh, the, the teaching the class, teaching the students at the time, like a few years at the moment. But when the, also at the same time in the business uh, quite a while. So when the people come to my class at the time, I probably had a little bit sensor. The student had a potential or is a dedicate, or is a motivate. And the Johnny uh, follows into that category. As soon as I walk into my classes, I already know that's the kind of student gonna have a bright future. You, just, you just can look him in the eyes and you just know, right? Uh, absolutely, by myself experience, uh, teaching and uh, working, so all this kind of engage with the people at the time, I found out this, Johnny Shan, uh, Johnny Han, had, that she had, had a really done definite potential for the future. And also, top of that, he's a really humble man and respectful man. Uh, that balance is key. Too many of us chefs have big, big egos. I'm sure that was a, uh, a breath of fresh air. So tell me about the relationship that you formed. One of the things that he talked about that I absolutely love is that you interested him some. And I just feel like introducing <laughs> people to, to culture through food is everything. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the way that we communicate with our families. It's the way that yeah. we communicate across a, across any kind of border. So talk to me about yeah. that, what that meant to you to introduce somebody like Johnny to something that now, I mean, you know, his culinary style skews so Asian. He's so inspired by Asian <laughs> cultures now. And he, 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 he credits a lot of that to that moment <laughs> of inspiration from you. So it's a big deal. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. You know, the really funny thing is that when I try to introduce something new and also something different information to the children at the time, 
I wasn't really thinking anything. I just think that uh, let me share my self experience in a different way to the, my students, especially typical like a Johnny Sheehan, that kind of type of person, saying, hey, have this, have that, would you buy interesting that beside the baking and the pastry? And then at that time, we started engaging, talk about the foods and something else outside the foods. And most of the time, I say, in the United States, most people probably even don't know that much dancing. And the question about it, what's dancing? Then I started having a little bit of conversations with Johnny Han, uh, Johnny Sheehan about it, say, hey, the Jameson basically is like a French word called odor. Chinese word Jameson is a piece, a small piece, bite-sized of the food. And the server on the hot tray, oh, it can be cold. So start off on there, Johnny got a little bit engaged. I said, well, you know, by talking through without actual seeing the action, why not we find a day, find a time, we got meet together, let me take a year walk through, it would be much more easy, you understand it more. That's how we started from there, the one day I took him to the Chinatown in Boston. In the one restaurant, we sit down, we have a little chat, we have a talk, and then start from there. And we I, I, I can't time. tell you how, how excited that makes me. I am such a fan of dim sum. I've I've been a fan for a long time. I'm always the one bringing groups together, saying, "Let's get eight people together so we get a big table, so we get the lazy Susan." We have yeah. I have a couple of rules. Uh, uh, there's important rules when you're doing some. You have to have somebody strong on the anchor seat. I would always sit there because the women with the carts are the best salespeople in the world. Yeah. they will just put food on your plate on your table if you are not strong and tell them what you want. So that was a very important rule. Also, no matter what you eat, everybody splits the, the bill equally. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's very balanced in that way. And yes. you, you always order two beers at a time because they're very fast with food, very slow with drinks. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, are, you are the expert in the dimsing already. You don't need to make I, explain to you anymore. <laughs> maybe I, one day, maybe one day you come to Boston. We can go I, join the dimsing together. I am I am booking my tickets as we speak because I I just love that I love being able to introduce people to anything new I do it with food I do it with craft beer I'm just I I just know that that spark of inspiration of people seeing something for the first time is yes. transformational and yes. when Johnny told me that I, I mean I lit up because I know exactly what he experienced because I've experienced that. And I know exactly yeah. what you experienced huh. because introducing something, something to somebody new That's is right. so important to me. And it like, yeah. it, it fills my soul. So I appreciated both sides of that. So I so love that. So I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the relationship as a mentor. I think, as I mentioned, mentorship is everything in the industry. If we're willing to take people under our wing and also if people are willing to ask and show what Johnny showed you to be able to say, Hey, I'll take you under my wing. You're not just yes. another one of my students. You're not just another one of my employees. You're yes. somebody that I can see molding into something more. Clearly that's important. You talk to us about that because I want somebody listening to say, I need to do a better job of mentoring. I want to find more people to mentor because it makes such a difference for our industry. Yes, I totally agree with you, 100%, yes. 
And so how do you do, how do you do that? Like, what is it that has you year after year finding people like Donnie Sheehan and investing your time and effort into them? Most of this because it go both way, like you beginning you mentioned. Most of this, when the students start getting really into it and engage with the media time, I started introducing more. Even the time when I found out a lot of students not into, not interesting, not trying to engage, I still try to find a different way, motivate it, and find a way, encourage it, and find a different way, explain it. Because that's the purpose of when the students come to my class at the time, I want to make sure when they walk away, they at least have some kind of different kind of experience with me or in the school. Because uh, the purpose of the kind of school, not I want to just get an education. Also, I want to get a different experience. That's the most important to me, the purpose in the school, teaching students at the time. I want to make sure they have all different variety, open other experience. Not just only on the book, not just only in faking. It's all about the experience when they come to school and also make sure when they walk away, when they finish school, when they finish my class, have all different idea, the future, the goal. That's my most important to me. That's, that's brilliant. I, I think of a quote, yeah, it's not their responsibility to learn what you have to teach. It's your responsibility to learn how to teach them. Clearly yeah. something that you take to heart. Because I think a lot of times in, in anything, we yeah. just push people through the process. Yes. And it's transactional. And for you, clearly it wasn't just a transaction because yeah. they're paying tuition and they're enrolled in a class. It was important for you to actually yeah. inspire them and create an opportunity for them to yeah. ex explore this this uh, industry. Yes, absolutely. That's really great. Because I've been through that kind of experience with my former instructor, otherwise I won't be teaching. That's the one good example. My former instructor wanted to give me that kind of uh, experience, wanted to give me a little chance. Otherwise, uh, I don't have the kind of experience with teaching and uh, probably won't meet the, the Johnny either. Yeah, that's really great. I mean, you're just, you're paying it forward. You got it, and now you're trying to pass it along. Do you remember that instructor's name? That Oh, she, she her name is uh, Ageropolis. Ageropolis? Ursula Ageropolis. Okay, we need more <laughs> Ingways. <laughs> we need more, we need more <laughs> Ursula Ageropolis. What a name. <laughs> yes, got, very you're, long. You're challenging very... all of my pronunciations tonight. I love it. Yeah, you, you know the funny thing is that my English is not so great, but uh, somebody the name I even have a hard time to pronounce it. But uh, the fortunate, lucky, this one is former instructor. I know how to pronounce her name. I, I talk a lot about uh, communication over language, and I think it's very interesting. Uh, speaking with you, it's clear that the communication, it comes out of your skin. Obviously, I can, I can just tell that so people appreciate understand where you're coming from. Appreciate it. Even if a word or two here or there is quote hard to understand for somebody, I think the sentiment is well, well understood. And I think that's one of the things that's clear 
that yeah. you communicated yeah. something that Johnny needed to know. And I appreciate it because having eaten Johnny's food, I am yeah. glad that he is in this industry. And if you played any yeah. small part in that, which clearly you played a big part for Johnny, it means a lot. It means a lot to the industry. So thank you for your contribution to the industry as a whole. And everyone listening out there, we need more Ingways out there <laughs> mentoring the future of our industry, creating purpose. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for coming with us. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.